Welcome to Clean Matters, a podcast brought to you by Perfect Clean. Hello, welcome to Clean Matters, a podcast by Perfect Clean. As always, you can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. I'm your host, Justin Honoré, and it has been two years since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. And this time last year, many industries were starting to open up again trying to find new and safe ways to navigate in this COVID world. Part of that safe navigation was sanitation. So many were presented with the scenario of going into their favorite restaurant and seeing a sign that may say, we scrub every menu and table after every use, or maybe even their child's school shut down periodically for a deep clean. That is a practice known commonly as hygiene theater. In theory, these actions sound like effective ways to combat COVID-19, But is it worth the time and resources to do so, and are there better solutions than participating in hygiene theater? To answer these questions and more, we are joined by Randy Savage, Lurley Morrow, and Daryl Hicks, experts in the field that can help us solve these questions. Lurley, everyone, how are we today? Great. Very good. Good. Let's just dive right into the first question. And Lurley, this is first addressed to you. It has been two years since the COVID-19 pandemic started to take shape around the world. And so for those two years, we have seen different ways people have tried to slow down the pandemic. How has that changed since the beginning? And where are we now? Sure. So the world's approach to infection prevention has really changed since the pandemic took hold. Pre-COVID and healthcare, for instance, the focus was really on preventing healthcare-associated infections, or HAIs, including C. diff, Candida auris, MRSA, VRE, and norovirus. In hospitality, clean guest rooms were the gold standard. In education, while cleaning and disinfecting were done regularly, they weren't necessarily in the spotlight. And in cruise lines, the main concern was norovirus. But today, there's really a myopic focus on COVID. Across industries, we've been hyper-focused on COVID infection prevention protocols. The hospitality industry, already hyper-focused on cleanliness, has transformed its business model. So it's increasing its focus on raising the level of infection prevention closer to that of an acute care hospital. Unfortunately, cleaning and disinfection have become hygiene theater in some instances with some questionable methods being used that aren't based in science. It's been exacerbated by the fact that there was unclear messaging at the beginning of the pandemic on how to handle COVID-19, which has really led to confusion and regrettably paved the way for many snake oil products and processes. Daryl, Randy, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I'll jump in here. I agree with you, Laura Lee. It's almost kabuki theater and not just hygiene theater, but, you know, the mask, I think, is still on. The kabuki theater mask is still on because, you know, early on we saw these signs going into grocery stores and shopping, you know, health and hygiene is our most important thing here and you know we had the disinfectant wipes we had the hand sanitizer and now the hand sanitizers are empty there's no wipes and we're back to where we were pre-covid but you know i still see the same amount of people there shopping so i 
I just don't know what we accomplished through all that. And the messaging was really off from the very beginning. And then April of this year, you know, CDC came out and said, really, you know, this virus is, is transmitted through the air. And so we need to focus on the air and not on surfaces. And then it seemed like everything, the wheels just came off the, the last, you know, 20 months of, you know, really focused on cleaning and disinfection, which, you know, I, I regret that takes a pandemic for people to get interested in the right way to really clean and disinfect. But what we've seen is not necessarily the right way to clean and disinfect over this, this period of time. Yeah. And I, and I agree with that. You know, prior to COVID, I think guests always believed at a very basic level that they didn't have to worry about, you know, norovirus or athlete's foot or, you know, other, you know, germs and viruses, because they assumed that hotels were going to take care of them at that very basic level and they didn't have to worry about it. You know, now for some reason with COVID, Hotels have felt, and, and it's not just hotels, you know, airlines too, for example, you know, that we feel they felt that they've had to get out there and, and actually, you know, come up with some shenanigans, I guess, for lack of a better way to describe it, that, you know, you have to show people that we really, you know, are, are serious about cleaning all of a sudden. It's almost like, you know, we weren't serious before, but we are now, although, Again, I think guests always believed at a very basic level that they didn't have to worry about, you know, norovirus and, you know, athlete's foot and in, in, in other things. So now, Randy and Daryl, I want to stick with you guys. But before we dive into this anymore, I think everyone needs to know what exactly is hygiene theater and what is an example of some questionable hygiene theater? Yeah, if I can just jump in here. So, I mean, I call it the gamification of housekeeping because instead of focusing on and reinforcing the proper methods to complete a specific task, including, you know, following the proper technique, using the correct tools and chemicals. And, you know, hotels have resorted to these gee whiz gadgets and these feel-good tools like disinfectant wipe, for example. And, you know, when I say a gee whiz gadget, I'm talking about a fogger as another example, you know. And it's, you know, done to create the illusion that hotels are, are being cleaned better than they, they ever were before. You know, if you actually stop to watch how, you know, some of these tools are being used, for example, and I'll give you an example. By the end of this year, I'll stay about 80 nights in a hotel. And a couple of months ago, I was walking around. And this is just literally a couple of months ago. So long after some other major companies, you know, have, you know, kind of dialed back on on foggers and stuff. But in this particular lobby, I was observing a housekeeping associate walking around, just waving the, the fogger all over the place. It, they weren't directing it at anything in particular. It was almost like they were like disinfecting the air that we were breathing or something like that. You know, they hit the spots on, you know, sofas and some things like that. You know, I just question whether that's, you know, valuable, you know, when they're just walking around, they're going through the motions, but was it really, you know, doing anything other than putting chemical out in the air? Exactly. And I think that electrostatic spraying and the fogging that you're talking about, Randy, is that electrostatic sprayer is really just an application tool for the disinfectant. People think that, you know, Early on, we saw in China and Korea and other places, Japan, where they were just driving down the streets and fogging, you know, these guys in the moon suits just blowing this fog through the streets. And, you know, I always thought, well, who cleaned the streets first? You know, they didn't. And same thing is happening with, you know, 
perfect, clean, you know, microfiber is an application tool, although it provides that mechanical action, you know, that removes soil from a surface so that the disinfectant has an opportunity to work. But whenever you exceed 5% soil load on a surface, then you've exceeded that disinfectant's claim for 5% soil load, which usually means blood and body fluids. But to be applying any disinfectant to a surface that's not cleaned, whether it's UV lights or, you know, a cloth with disinfectant on it, to not pre-clean the surface is off-label use of that disinfectant, actually. But what I saw early on was, you know, standing in line at, you know, the self-pay kiosk, and then you've got this 17-year-old young man over there with a spray bottle and one cloth. And as soon as someone walks away from the kiosk, he's over there spraying everything down and wiping it and waiting for the next one. And people staying in line are thinking, wow, they really care about my, my safety here. What I saw was he was picking things up and spreading them around all those kiosks. If there really was anything there, he was just moving it from one to the next. So, you know, it should be single-use disinfectant wipes, but, you know, I've seen so many of those pay terminals destroyed by disinfectants because they were never meant to be disinfected after every customer was done. And so now I see these signs on there, do not spray disinfectants on this, you know, because they've, they had a very expensive lesson in trying to appease the public, but at the same time, they were destroying these you know, a lot of high value pay terminals. I think even myself, I've gotten my credit card wiped down a couple of times by a clock that has been used multiple times. <laughs> so it's like, is that really the most effective way? But picking back up on some of the things you guys highlighted on, and is that constantly wiping of these surfaces the most effective way of combating the virus? And Randy, I know you discussed some of the risks with this hygiene theater. Maybe if you and Daryl can elaborate a little bit more on some of the other risks that go into it. Yeah. So, you know, I think in some cases, hygiene theater actually scares people. You know, I guess walking by a housekeeping associate might think that they're doing a good job protecting me and my interests. But, you know, maybe they've got other thoughts. Who knows? And I've got two examples I'd like to share. One is a friend of mine who I've, I've known. He's been in the hospitality industry as long as I have. We, we started, you know, together. He and his wife prior to COVID were avid travelers. They got on a plane, traveled around the world. They went on cruises, stayed in hotels, et cetera, et cetera. Now, his wife will not travel anywhere. And one of the reasons that she cites as not wanting to travel is that even though she understands that there was a potential risk, for example, taking a cruise and, you know, there was always a risk for norovirus or, or, or something like that on a cruise, these companies, hotel companies, airlines, cruise companies, they've made such a big deal about going through and disinfecting now that she's actually, you know, come to believe that, COVID is so much worse than maybe even the government is telling us, for example, you know, maybe because they have to go through all those theatrics to, you know, fog planes and, you know, United Airlines, who I fly all the time, was a big one on their pre-departure videos showing that they fog the plane between every flight, for example. I've noticed lately when I'm flying them, though, that they've toned that message way, way down and they just tell you that they cleaned it thoroughly at the end of the day, basically. So, you know, it's, it's scared this person, but I'll give you another example. My next door neighbor here, she's had a timeshare in Hawaii for many, many years. This will be the second January in a row now she has not traveled to Hawaii. 
And the reason she won't go is because she doesn't trust travel because, you know, the travel experience, you know, on an aircraft, because, you know, again, she's the same thing. If they have to fog it, you know, what, what am I, you know, sitting in? What kind of air am I breathing? And, and things like that. So I think they've actually done maybe themselves a disservice to some degree, hotel companies and cruise lines and airlines by showing the effort that goes on behind the scenes every day to keep a hotel room clean or an airplane clean or, or a cruise ship clean, for example. I don't know if they've helped themselves. Daryl, would you like to add to that? No, I was waiting for Lurley to weigh in on that. Sure. So I think, you know, Randy kind of hit the nail on the head. It's taken focus off of the fact that we should really be looking at COVID as another AJI, you know, and, and treating it uh, accordingly as we have done with any other disease. And it's, you know, the fact that we've focused so much on the behind the scenes has really kind of added to the the mayhem behind this all. I think it's been counterproductive for sure. Now, literally, what can these, in particular, hotels and cruise lines, because I know Randy kind of touched on these cruise lines with an example of what they can do in particular to effectively better disinfect or make sure that these passengers coming on are safe because Obviously, in the beginning of the pandemic, that's where we saw a lot of these cases really start to pile up on these cruise lines. With these being reintroduced and, you know, the holiday season, people like to go on cruise lines. What in particular can they do as well as the hospitality and hotel industry? Right. So really, we need to make sure that we're maintaining a holistic view of infection prevention. COVID is just one antagonist against which we're fighting. For example, the cruise lines have been battling norovirus outbreaks um, for years, and that can't change. Infection prevention is a process, and that includes cleaning and disinfection. Nothing can be disinfected that is not cleaned first, and the human must be a part of that process. So, you know, I think there's a big education piece behind this and, and really even teaching people what, you know, cleaning, sanitizing, and disinfecting means as far as a microbial load. And Last of all, it, I think it's important to refer to credible sources like the American Hotel and Lodging Association or AHLA and CDC guidelines, as well as EPA lists for, for appropriate disinfectants to use. Those are great resources. I think that this period that we're coming through now, I see where I guess is the FDA that just recently took out this emergency hand sanitizer law or this standard that they changed. And so I guess the whiskey distillers can no longer make our hand sanitizer. I guess to me, people were drinking. <laughs> I don't know. But we had distilleries making hand sanitizer because we couldn't get enough of it. And I think at the same time, we had these disinfectants from all over the world trying to fill the gap in the supply chains. And so, you know, we've wound up, I think, making making germs more resistant to disinfectants and hand sanitizers because we kind of lowered the bar of what is a disinfectant or what is a hand sanitizer and was to our detriment. And uh, I think now we may have disinfectant and hand sanitizer resistant bacteria that have morphed. And so it's going to be harder to 
put that genie back in the bottle in years to come. And, you know, with the antibiotics running out, that there are no new antibiotics being developed, then cleaning and disinfecting of surfaces the proper way is the one thing that may save mankind in the future. And now we're, we're making these, you know, you mentioned MRSA and uh, Candida auris. Those were two organisms that in the last two years in hospitals have just exploded because we were more concerned that the disinfectant was on the EPA list in. And so out of those 570 disinfectants on there, I wouldn't recommend more than a handful of them, 10 of them at the most, because of their corrosive. Many of them are highly corrosive to surfaces. And I've seen, I've seen the destruction happening on furniture and furnishings where, you know, you know, the more corrosive, the better it's. So anyway, we, we need to bring this back to center. And by doing that, I think education is one of those things, but we really need to make sure that the processes and the products and then the people are all working in concert with one another in uh, avoiding, you know, kind of these disinfectant resistant organisms. Now, I just want to pivot over. I know we talked a lot about the hospitality industry, cruise lines and hotels, but another area where we are kind of seeing this hygiene theater is your healthcare facilities and hospitals. Obviously, places where there is a lot of COVID exposure, especially where there is hospitals being overran with cases. So where can they necessarily improve in this matter as opposed to the hotel and cruise line industry? I think one of the, the things that a lot of industries right now, I know many, most are faced with is the labor shortages. And, you know, at a time when hospitals are filling up again, and I think that we have new employees that just started and maybe, you know, they worked fast food before and, you know, they're stuffing hamburgers in a bag last week and now they're cleaning the OR this week. And what has prepared them for that giant step and, you know, rather than just showing them, here's what we use on the glass and here's what we use on the floors and here's what we use on the sinks, they're not getting educated. They're getting thrown into the fire and because we don't have time to educate them and bring them along like we should because the, the need is so great. And I've, I've heard that happening in K through 12 schools, you know, a school district with 350 FTEs on, on the books, you know, they're operating with 20% less and they can't stop to educate the new people because they're in the work lane. And so that's, that's one of the, the things that I don't know how we fix this unless we get more labor in the work lane. But I think that what I've seen, you know, early on was the shortages of PPE. And I actually had a friend of mine in a hospital not far from here. And they were so short on isolation gowns that her nursing director told her to go to Walmart and buy raincoats for her staff so they could be wiped down with disinfectant. And my, my friend asked me what I thought. I said, I tell her when I see nurses wearing raincoats and I'll go buy some for my staff too. But, you know, we, we let nurses clean rooms supposedly because we didn't have enough PPE for the EVS people to go into those rooms. And I think, you know, 
having RNs do the daily cleaning in these patient rooms when they're trying to take care of a patient on the ventilator. I think that's where a lot of things got way out of control. And, you know, like I said, it's been, I think, we'll never know the harm that was done by, you know, these stopgap sort of things that we've done over the last 20 months. But I don't know when (laughs) we're going to get back on to having full staff and getting a handle on what is happening inside of hospitals. Now, Lurley, is there anything you would like to add to that? Yes. So I completely agree with Daryl that turnover, especially in environmental services, is a huge issue, something that they combat every day, which makes an environmental services training and recognition program that much more important, kind of a foolproof way or almost like an engineering control to make sure that you have some consistency. I would also recommend that, you know, tools in addition to that training and recognition are used like a one per room color-coded methodology to avoid cross-contamination. Having that color coding makes it easy for the environmental services worker to know colors to use in which room, whether it's the bathroom or the patient room, and then kind of a focus on reusable microfiber textiles. There's a ton of research that shows when used correctly and laundered correctly, using those products can really increase the cleanliness of your facility. And then last but not least, of course, focusing on those EPA registered disinfectants that can be found on the EPA list N, which Daryl mentioned, which are disinfectants to be used for coronavirus, and then EPA list K, which are registered antimicrobial products effective against C. diff spores. I'd like to jump in for a second, if I could, because even though we've talked, you know, we were talking about healthcare, you know, there's a lot of, of crossover into to hospitality here. And, you know, I agree that we need to get to the point where we're, we're, we're going back and we're reinforcing the basics with our housekeeping team. You know, we're teaching them how to clean guest rooms and public areas properly, as well as back of the house spaces for that matter. You know, we, we've got to provide effective training, but we've also got to provide the, the proper tools, in some cases chemicals, and then we have to have an, an, an effective inspection program. And that doesn't mean inspecting every room every day, for example, but we really do need to get back to, to the basics, I think, because these theatrics that we go through to show guests in our public spaces what's going on, we're not following up in the same um, same manner, I, I suspect, inside the guest room, because again, the guests you know, can't necessarily see what's going on when a guest room is being cleaned. So I think it's very, very important. I really do think that we need to get back to the basics and understand really what it takes to properly clean a room and then set the room attendants, people who are cleaning the guest rooms up for success every day and getting them the proper tools and equipment that they need. And Randy, that is something everybody has touched on the past couple of questions. Is that proper training and proper technique? Why is it so important? Because obviously clean is something that has to be learned. It has to be taught to effectively do it and effectively kill those viruses and kill those germs. What do you think and why do you think we are kind of falling short on that of late? Well, you know, Daryl touched on it just a moment ago. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to get staff. You know, people are, you know, they've, they've changed careers. You know, when, when everybody wound up losing their job, when hotels closed, when restaurants shut down and everything, you know, there was a, a big change in 
you know, where people have gone to work. People who worked in hotels have gone to work for, you know, maybe, you know, warehouses or they've taken jobs cleaning homes on a private, private homes or, or something like that. They've got to get serious about, you know, finding attractive and, you know, not only attracting, but retaining people too. So, and this is where the proper training comes in. You know, they've got to come in in the morning. They've got to have their tools, their equipment, their supplies, linen, everything. And, and they can't be yelled at just because they didn't do the job properly. I don't think anybody comes to work every day or on any day rather and, and wants to do a bad job. You know, they've learned a lot of times to clean from their grandmothers or their mothers or their aunts or, you know, something they might have seen somebody else do. And that's not always the best way. You know, I've, I've witnessed room attendants in my career cleaning bathroom floors with air freshener, for example. And, you know, in one particular case that I'm thinking of right now, I was standing there with the director of housekeeping for a hotel, watching the room attendant clean a guest room. The room attendant was, you know, busy walking around and went in the bathroom. And the first thing she did was she grabbed the towel off the rack, sprayed some air freshener on the floor, threw the towel down, and then used her foot to mop the floor up. And, you know, the director of housekeeping, you know, just about jumped out of her skin. But, <laughs> you know, it just proved that, you know, you've got to follow up. And this is where an inspection program comes comes into play. When we questioned the room attendant after she had, you know, completed that task, you know, one of the comments was she didn't have any microfiber cloths. You know, she didn't have any wipers. So, you know, the towel was the easiest thing. She, she had a job to do. She had to get the job done. And she did it the way she, you know, the best way she thought. And that was grabbing a clean towel off the rack and throwing it on the floor and using her foot to swish it around. Now, this last question is for everyone. We touched on training, that recognition as sort of that next step, kind of getting back to basics as an advice for all these industries. What other advice would you give these industries so we can have a better focus on disinfecting properly and doing it the right way? Well, I think that we need to start certifying or, you know, during this period, we have called those in the professional cleaning careers and we call them heroes. We call them a lot of things. And I think that one of the things that still kind of sticks in my craw is that they do essential work, but they weren't called essential workers. And they weren't paid. Some some hospitals paid some sort of a bonus. But, you know, I believe that, that we need to make sure that those that are cleaning, especially in hospitals, you know, that we start certifying or licensing or something that raises the professional level that we make sure that what they're doing and how they're doing, the tools that they're using, that they're given the right amount of time to do an OR turnover, you know, after a car accident and there's blood all over the place, that we need to make sure that they are equipped with the right education, the right tools, and given the right amount of time to do the jobs. But, you know, I think that that we need to raise that bar and start certifying these the staff. And with that certification, then it raises their professionalism. It should raise their pay. You know, the mother that's worried about making rent this week and she's got, you know, 24 patient rooms to clean and three discharges to clean. And she's worried about whether she and her kids are going to live, you know, again, that they're going to lose their their apartment. You know, we we have to raise their standard so that they are recognizing you know, we call them heroes. We should pay them as heroes. Lurley, Randy. Yeah, so completely agree with with Daryl. 
there was actually a, a case study done at Rush Copley that looked at the increased focus on monitoring, cleaning, and education and awareness. And those hospitals saw a massive decrease in their C. diff rates for more than 50%. And the project really stressed the engagement of the environmental services team as part of the infection prevention team. And that had a significant impact on their perception of that department by others in the hospital, other other departments in the hospital. You know, elevating the standards, as as Daryl mentioned, and making sure that that staff is well-equipped and trained and certified is hugely important, but also making sure that awareness is a part of this, this education. Many people don't know or understand the impact healthcare-acquired infections have around the world, that, you know, hundreds of thousands of people die annually around the world, yet many aren't aware of that. You know, that that needs to be incorporated. And I think a big part of this is not just the initial training when you hire someone, but ongoing education and training opportunities that can be taken advantage of. And I can't stress enough referencing back to CDC guidelines and EPA recommended products for cleaning processes and products. Before Randy jumps in, Randy, I don't mean to cut you off, but something you said earlier about you and the housekeeping director standing there observing what was going on, that is part of the quality assurance program should be of observing these workers do their task. And, you know, it's it's almost got to be the secret shopper, you know, something that because the, you know, the Hawthorne effect, that if they know they're being watched or measured, then they're likely to step up to that. But I think that part of any quality assurance program is not just measuring clean with uh, ATP or other methods of fluorescent marking and what have you. I think that observation of the work going on so that we make sure that that they are following the recipe you know for a clean room daryl that that is so true and one of the things that has been i've said for years that you know when you inspect a room you've got a trailing indication of how that room you know how the room attendant performed. You know, if you go in there, inspect it, and there were things wrong with it, well, you know there's things wrong with it. You don't know how the, those failures occurred. So the only way you're going to get to the root cause of the problem is to actually go back and watch the process happen. And, and I can't tell you how many times I had conversation with, with general managers who think that in a hotel, think that's a complete waste of time because they believe the room attendant is going to do the job the right way because we're up there watching them. And I've proven over and over again that standing there watching a room attendant is not going to have any real material impact on the way she completes that task because she believes or he believes that they are doing it the right way. So they're going to continue to do it that way. You know, and, and as I as I used in my example, the room attendant just whipped the towel off the rack, you know, squirted some air freshener on the floor. And, you know, in, in her mind, if it smelled clean, it's, you know, it's got to be clean because, you know, the air freshener smelled good. So, you know, we've we've really got to step up. I think, you know, there's a lack of respect on the part of, of housekeeping departments. I think they really... Uh, and, I, and I can't speak for all industries, but I do believe in the hospitality industries that there is there's a lack of respect for the hard work that goes on every day in a housekeeping department. I think that, you know, it's one of those departments that, you know, you have to have, but you really don't want to, you know, 
know too much about it because you don't want to make beds. You don't want to mop up, uh, you know, floors and clean toilets and tubs and, and, and things like that. So it's one of those, you know, sort of a necessary evil, I guess, of, of operating a hotel. And unless you've got a huge food and beverage operation in your hotel, you know, you're a destination resort, but it's primarily destination because of your restaurants. Hotel housekeeping departments are the largest departments in hotel. They've got the largest budgets. And when, when budgets start to get busted because, you know, business drops off a little bit, there's a big bullseye in housekeeping. Oh, you know, we'll just take some money out of housekeeping. They won't miss it. And, you know, nothing could be farther from the truth. You know, if you take money away, something's got to give, you know, are we going to buy, you know, wipers next month? Are we going to buy chemicals next month? You know, it's, uh, are we going to increase the productivity of room attendants, uh, of our room attendants in order to get the job done? So I, I think, you know, hotels really have to get serious about housekeeping and, you know, develop a, a newfound respect for the housekeeping department. A lot of knowledge was just dropped by you guys. Where can people find your information or where to reach out to maybe even pick your brains even more? My email address is Daryl, D-A-R-R-E-L, at Daryl Hicks, H-I-C-K-S dot com. Easy. Daryl at Daryl Hicks dot com. My email address is Randall. It's R-A-N-D-A-L dot Savage, S-A-V-A-G-E at att net. And my email address is lmoro, M-O-R-O, at perfectclean.com. Thank you so much for all the insights that you guys have given us. Obviously, this is something that is going to be important even after the COVID-19 pandemic because proper sanitation and cleaning is something you're going to have to use to combat many more bacteria and viruses. And that is all the time we have today for the Clean Matters podcast brought to you by Perfect Clean. Be sure to subscribe on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And once again, thank you for joining us.